Everybody's always bringing their A game for this one. Maybe it's sarcastic. <laughs> just, just maybe. We're just... bringing our A game for a Monday morning. No, no, no judgments here. episode 100 of the EdTech Loop podcast. My name is Larry Burden and she's a centenarian. It's Danielle Brostrom and here to celebrate this shocking milestone, it's Steffi Light. This is a very special episode of The Loop, not just because it's the 100th pod, but because it's the most useful pod we have ever recorded. Let's dig straight into it with Danielle and Steffi's 10 Tips for Digital Parents. Let's do this. No, so we wanted to do this. We've wanted to do this for a while. We've uh, spent a lot of time on digital citizenship over the past couple of years on many podcasts. And the reason we keep going back to it is because it's one of the most important things that we can discuss and create a conversation around um, involving technology, not just educational technology, but technology as a whole. So you guys have done a great job, put together this really great presentation concerning digital citizenship for parents. And I mean, I've enjoyed just our brief conversation that we've had pre-podcast about some of the the pitfalls that we run into. And we're considered, you know, to some extent, experts in the field. It illustrates how important this conversation is for somebody that might feel intimidated about involving technology or incorporating technology or communicating with their children about technology. With that, I'm going to kind of turn it over to you guys because I know you, you've gone through this presentation many times. Where, where do you guys want to start with the first slide? One thing we hear a lot about is parenting concerns around digital media. Um, As we've talked to parent groups around the district, the parenting part around anything with devices or digital media is in the forefront of people's minds and situations come up all the time and the playing field changes. There's just from this presentation, when we first created it, we've had to add a number of different apps in that from, you know, Facebook to TikTok to everything in between. It's just a constantly changing landscape. So it feels like this conversation never ends because there's always, there's no magic bullet and you can't just do X and then you're all good. It's an ongoing area of discussion. For sure. And I think we hear it over and over again too. Um, when we ask parents, what are their biggest concerns about about this whole parenting over devices piece, they say they don't want to mess it up. I'm afraid I'm going to mess this up. I I just want to do this right. And this is hard because, yeah, there isn't one app that you can download and you're probably going to mess this up because you're human and that's kind of how it goes. You just have to hope that you don't mess it up too bad and that you have people around you who will help you figure it out. So our presentation contains 10 tips that Um, We'll talk a little bit more in detail about, though we do work in this area and spend a lot of time thinking about this and working with how to provide information and and tips. I know that I make lots of mistakes at my own house and I'm not an expert. And I think the, the more I know about it, the more I feel like there is to know. So that's just my disclaimer that I... I'm, you know, we're Don't doing our me. best. Is that what you're saying here? <laughs> our this disclaimer, our, yes. This is our CYA. <laughs> so tip one, make a plan before giving your child a device. You really need to 
not be swayed by marketing that wants you to buy your kid the newest Chromebook or the newest iPad or the newest whatever. Um, You really need to think about it and be smart and make the plan before you even give them the device. So think about things like timing. How old should your kid be when you first let them have a device? Um, Some families are pledging to wait until 8th. There's a whole movement that you can check out online that you sign up your name is kind of held until there are enough other people in your child's age group that have signed up. And then you're connected with those people. So you can have kind of your own little um, network of people who are also pledging to wait until 8th for that cell phone. So I like that idea. Um, Check out what they're doing on wait until 8th online. Um, Some other things you need to think about, what activities you're okay with your kids doing online, what kind of time limits will you set? Can kids use media during homework time? Is that okay? Or is that a non-negotiable? What are the non-negotiables? What is definitely unacceptable to you? And you need to make sure that you're prepared to communicate that clearly. Kids need to know where those lines are and where those boundaries are. Um, And consider using some kind of a contract. There's an 18-point parent iPhone contract that we like. Um, They talk about different things that, like, if you cross this line, that cell phone is mine. Or just a reminder, kindness first in all interactions. Like, it's just really laying it out what you want the kid to do with that cell phone before you give it to them. And I like having those non-negotiables very, very clear for kids. And then another thing we talk about, um, consider adopting device-free dinners. That's definitely non-negotiable at my house. No devices at the table. I don't care what you want to look up. I don't care what you need to bring that adds to this conversation. It's not happening at the dinner table. And that's just something that we've decided on and agreed upon as a family. And also with the plan, some other things to think about, um, Deciding ahead of time what the consequences will be when when rules are broken, when kids are using devices. There's a lot of discussion about, especially for older kids, if the automatic consequence is to take the device away, does that um, inhibit a child's wanting to tell you about something they've seen online or some kind of a misstep they may have made? Because for some kids, that communication tool is so important. So is that the go-to? And it might be. But thinking about like what level of you know misstep constitutes what consequence, and that makes it easier if you think about it ahead of time before it's in the event. Um, and then planning ahead how you'll address curious searches or explicit texts. What will be your position on that if you find that your child has looked up something? Pick the topic. How do you give them information that will help them explore things in a safe way? And do you want them going to the internet or do you want them coming to you? So thinking about that ahead of time and really overall staying connected with your child and fostering the re- a relationship so that your kids will come to you when they struggle, not just with things online, but online as well. Will they go to you if there's a, a bullying incident that they see or if they see something that's unsafe, you would ideally want them to come to you so you can discuss those things and intervene if need be. And this has come up with a couple presentations. Parents have asked, um, they've been surprised when we've made the statement that remember that you pay for the device, so you're ultimately responsible for it. And you can take it away at any time. Once it's being given as a gift, it doesn't mean that it can't be taken away. So something else to think about. These are tough conversations to have. That needs to be said. There's going to be differences of opinion. I think it's so important that there is kind of a unified front from the adults pre-device. Mm-hmm. Those are going to be difficult conversations, even in split house, households, which is mm-hmm. often the case now. It's useful to have those conversations with the other guardians mm-hmm. prior or really during device usage, because 
you have to stay on the same page. If the child's getting mixed signals, that's not going to be helpful in how they develop a relationship with the device. Mm-hmm. So our second tip is to model healthy screen time and balance. This one is really, really hard. Um, Common Sense Media did a great study, the Common Sense Census Plugged In Parents. And um, one of the biggest findings was that 41% of teens feel that their parents are getting distracted by the devices and don't pay attention when they're together. The teens are right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a problem. <laughs> um, we really need to be modeling the kind of screen time and balance that you want. So part of it, I think, is being more vocal with your kids about, I just need to look up this one thing or, um, hey, guys, I'm doing homework right now. I'm doing some work for, for my job. Then I'm going to come back to you just so that way they don't think I'm sitting on my phone playing Candy Crush or anything like that. But I do think that there's a big piece of this that we need to check ourselves in our own screen time. Yes. I'm feeling guilty right now, as a matter of fact. Me too. So under that same tip, control your phone. Don't let it control you. The phones have made it easier to monitor your own usage. One big tip is to turn off all notifications except those from people. So, so many apps will just automatically send you all sorts of updates and it can be very distracting and very overwhelming. And so be mindful of what notifications you have turned on. If you want to be able to get texts from family, leave that on. But look at all of those apps that are trying to communicate with you and take time and take your attention. Turn those off. And you can remove apps that are distracting and then only access them by typing in the address, which is that extra step makes you think about it. Do you really want to go onto that social media site right now? And if you do and you want to take the time to type it in, then maybe it's worth it. But it's one other way to make it less easy to be distracted. There are some great screen time monitoring, um, especially in the new iPhone. It's You can get a good estimate of your own screen time usage. You can also set up with the other devices that are under your account that you can see how much usage they have. And it really can be pretty eye-opening because it might feel like you're just doing X for the short amount of time, but it's kind of um Really, humbling. you're on Facebook for three hours. <laughs> yeah, it just sort of happens. Um, in general, being pretty mindful of considering when you're using your device, prioritizing conversations with real people over devices, and talking with your children about why this is important and modeling it. And I think um, that really goes with your point, too, about being vocal about what you're doing so your kids understand when you are using the device what you're doing on it. And there's lots and lots of um, helpful apps out there for monitoring your usage and the usage of your family. Why are these monitoring apps, why are they so important? I think I think that we need to talk a little bit about, without going all black mirror, why the monitoring is necessary. Why is it so easy to fall down that rabbit hole? Well, so much of what's out there is designed to to suck in your attention and and create this black hole of usage. And that's the science behind how so many of the apps and um, everything online is designed to do. So I think the monitoring just helps you be aware of those black holes of time. I think most people are pretty aware of marketing at this point. They kind of understand how marketing works and if they're watching a commercial, what the commercial is designed to do. I think there might not be that level of um, awareness um, and maturity concerning attention, that attention is a market now. And we have to be mindful 
that that's what a lot, most of these apps are really trying to do. It's not necessarily to sell you something, it's to keep your mind active in that app. And so when we're talking about control your phone, don't let it control you, understand that the phone to some extent is actually trying, actively trying to control your attention. So it is trying to control you. It's not that it's a passive thing and we're going to it. It's actually an active thing trying to get into your your brain pan and control what's kind of in there. So it's, it is a push-pull. It's not just a pull. So as I'm working on a, a master's degree and when I am studying and my phone is nearby, it is amazing how active of a role I have to take to not... If I'm doing something especially that's boring, that does happen occasionally when I'm doing homework. I, but I just think back to when I was in undergrad. I didn't have a device. I didn't have email. I didn't... Like I was... I didn't have the same level of distraction. And it's amazing to me, like I have to take the steps that I recommend to my own kids, like to move my phone away. And it's not that I'm getting on necessarily to do something like play Candy Crush. You know, maybe I'm getting on to order a gift for someone or schedule a play date or do something that is, you know, you could make the argument that it's productive. It's still distracting though. And it's sitting right there and it can always suck you in. And I'm a grown up and it's hard to not get sucked in when I'm supposed to be doing something else. I think it's important to vocalize with your family and with your children though, that that even you struggle with this. You know, I think as a parent, I, I do say to my kids, this phone is addicting and I have a problem with, with going on and getting lost in, um, for me, it's social media. And I I want you to check me on that. And I tell my kids, like, if, if you see that I'm on this and I'm half having a conversation with you, you don't have my full attention, say, mom, hey, turn off your phone, look at me. And that helps too, because man, the second your kids say to you, you're paying more attention to this than to me. That's that instant like gut check. Like, oh, you're right. Like, I needed that. Thank you. So I think it's important that the kids know that it's a struggle for all of us. I agree. All right, number three. Tip three is to build up your digital parenting village. Talk with your friends about how they're parenting around devices, share your struggles and your successes. I think I get a lot of ideas from the parents around me who are also going through this exact same thing. So talk about it. If you don't have a community in person, look for a virtual parenting community. Common Sense Media is a must read for parents. They have a great community on there where parents can put up concerns or there's a parent advice blog section. Um, and then another resource I would want to point you to is um, Devora Heitner. She has a Raising Digital Natives blog, and there's a wealth of information about parenting over devices on there and also in her um, in the press and media page. Um, a lot of great articles that have either cited her that she's been a part of and just a lot of really, really good ideas because everyone is kind of struggling with this. Tip four sums up a lot of our tips, but it's being obsessively intentional about the technology that your family uses and that you use and really being proactive about what you're using and what what devices you have, but being obsessively intentional. Could you go a little bit deeper on what that means? Sure. So for all kids, that would be being choosy about the technology that you do let into your house. Thinking like background TV is a choice. Um, thinking about things like child development and appropriateness. What are they ready for? What are their interests? What kind of privacy and safety concerns do I have to think about? Like, I have littles at home, so I really need to be focusing on the basics. What kind of media am I going to let in that allows them 
you know, for my little, it's going to be focusing on letters and numbers and empathy, kindness, those kinds of things. For my older one, I know that she's really interested in making and doing. So what kind of, what kind of technology can I let in that would help foster that passion of hers, but is also still appropriate. So like my little, I instantly look to the PBS stuff. PBS does a great job putting out content that I can guarantee is going to be safe. Peg Plus Cat is always a win in her house. Um, They've got a new one, Xavier Riddle and the Secret Museum, where they go through history and like positive role models. Like I'm, I'm being really intentional. I'm not just saying... I need an hour to get some stuff done here, watch whatever happens to be on YouTube. There, there's a big difference between that and I need an hour to get some stuff done. Let's sit down together and watch Peg Plus Cat or or you can sit down and watch Peg Plus Cat because I need to do the dishes, that kind of thing. Like some, sometimes you do have to make that choice. Um, you should be trying to do a shared media experience with your kids when they're little, but if you can't, being obsessively intentional about the tech that you are letting your kids have access to is really important. And yours is different because you have big kids. And as they get older, they do want more independence, but it's still that same idea of trying to be really careful about what you're letting in. Around age eight, kids want to be more independent and have their own relationship with tech and media. And things like Minecraft and Roblox and Animal Jam come in to play. Um, And there are extreme cases where there are people online who are trying to use those chat features as a way to reach kids for an unsafe reason. That's not the norm and that is that's rare. But having um, discussions with your kids about that, if they're using a chat feature on any of those types of games, what kind of conversations are happening? Are they safe? Are they kind? What helping them um, monitor and first of all, decide if you want those features to be available to your kids um, and letting them know that those same things we talked about, that these games are designed to keep them playing as long as possible. So helping them and and modeling for them and putting into place stopping points so that they don't get sucked in and are playing and playing. But it becomes a different type of um, uh, of, of involvement because kids do want to have more say as they get older, but still being careful that you're um, modeling and helping kids make choices that work with your family's values around tech. So tip five is to have a central location for all devices. Looking at the stats with device usage, kids ages 8 to 18 spend an average of 7.5 hours per day interacting with media, and that is not counting school and homework. The average for tweens is six hours. The average for teens is nine hours. And 72% of kids go to sleep with a screen in their room. That is a huge problem. Um, The constant notifications can affect their sleep. That's just one time where they really, really don't need screens. So we do suggest having a central location for all your devices at night to be charging, not by their bedside, but maybe it's in the kitchen. Maybe it's even in your room because you know that if they're in the kitchen at night, somebody's going to get up and go grab it after you've gone to bed. So maybe they're locked in your room. But as a general rule, zero screens in the bedroom, maybe even purchasing a standalone alarm clock rather than using your phone alarm in the morning. We also have some great options. The Screenager's website is phenomenal. They offer a bunch of suggestions for rules for screens and sleep that other people have. Again, that's looking for that virtual parenting village, but they're offering some suggestions like, you know, once the screen time for the day is used up, they go in the top of my closet or 30 minutes before bedtime, unless they're doing homework, all charged in the home office, no devices being charged in bedrooms, charging station in the kitchen. Like this is another chance where I think you should find out what other parents are doing and try to get some tips and tricks. But 
trust us. Don't let kids have the device in their bedroom at night. <laughs> I think this might be a good time to just sit back for a second. We're, we're, we're at number five. And anybody that's listening to this is already going, I'm overwhelmed. I, how, I, can't, I can't manage all this already. I'm considering turning off the podcast and just throwing up my hands and giving my kids all the devices because this is overwhelming. There's or none no of the devices. Honestly, I don't even think that's an option. I, I think for most parents right now, because of the, the level of marketing, the level of the ask, um, societal norms, my friend has, my friend has, my friend has. I, I don't really think for most parents that's even an option or that would that would be even considered an option. I really don't. I think we need to be honest about that. I want to go back to number one. If you are having these conversations with all this information beforehand, it's not as overwhelming. You can kind of parse through this and have a plan before you go into it so that it isn't, oh, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. I've got to do this. If you have that plan beforehand, all these things are in place and you're not trying to change the tire while the car is going down the road. For a lot of this, a lot of us that are in the middle of it and we've already kind of, you know, got some ramshackle r- rules here and there and here and there. Yeah, this is going to be a little more difficult, a little more difficult because we're going to be patching holes. You know, we're going to be putting our fingers in the dam as, you know, as the water's, you know, we see all the, oh, I should have done this earlier. I should have done that earlier. Yeah, this can get a little overwhelming if you're in that situation and we get that. But going back, if you're a young parent and you're just introducing your child to a digital environment, go back to number one and then work through this, this list. And it might not be as overwhelming at that point in time. If you're in it already and you're going, ooh, that horse has already left the barn. We understand. Do what you can. But anything is better than nothing. For sure. I think just being aware of it and like feeling overwhelmed is not a bad thing because you're thinking through some of those issues. And that just tr- trying to make a dent in the amount of... Um, influence media has and tech has in your family's life. I think what you said is absolutely true. Like anything you do is a plus. Don't let it control you. You try to get a handle on it before that happens. We say the word a lot, mindfulness. Any aspect of mindfulness or awareness, as you were saying, to this is good. Focus on one of the tips. And we've got more. <laughs> we do. Focus on one of the tips and work on that. And then maybe go to the next one you're ready and you feel like you have one nailed down. Anyway. So tip six, set your home and devices up for success. There are lots of ways that you can um, get some control over your devices as well as the network in your home. We talked a little bit about what you can do on an iPhone in particular, but if you set up family sharing and then you can set screen time limits per child with different choices for each child. So you can decide very at lots of detailed levels um, what you want them to be able to do and for how much time. And I can't stress enough how important it is to go back and revisit that because I will do things with my screen time settings for my own kids and I'll make a change for whatever reason and then I'll forget to go back and put it back and it'll be 
open for, you know, whatever it is. Like I, I have to revisit it often, which I don't always do, but I try to remember. And then if you're thinking about the school owned devices, um, we're required as schools to filter devices, both the device and the Wi-Fi at school. That's a requirement of SIPA. There are options for filtering home networks as well. And because there's so many different options of routers and how networks are set up, um, there are a lot of tools online that make that um, more manageable. One thing that helps a lot is to require approval of all apps before they're purchased. So that's something that you can set up with any kind of sharing. When you have control over a device, you'll get a notification that your child wants to add something and you can approve or have a conversation about it. We recommend random spot checks on devices. So it's important that you know your kids' passwords and that can be a non-negotiable that you have to know their password so you can do spot checks. Um, look into search history. Direct messaging that happens within apps like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter can be places where kids have conversations that they might not want um, observed. And if any of those lists are totally blank, like search history or any of the messaging, that might be a red flag. Um, and there are um, lockers, they're called app lockers. They look like calculators where pictures and other things can be hidden, so be aware. Um, and then we talked a little bit about gaming sites that offer a chat feature. Best case is you're playing with the kids, but if that's not happening, because that's not realistic, of course, all the time, is there another game that doesn't have a chat feature or the chat feature can be turned off or are you comfortable with the chat feature and are you comfortable knowing who your child's playing with? So other things to think through. One of the things that I think is really important about, about that is you're touching the child's phone or, or digital device. You're involved in it so that they get used to that as opposed to it's mine. Anytime you, you involve yourself in it, you're invading my personal space by creating that relationship, that co-relationship early with their digital space, they're going to be much more comfortable going forward with that sharing process. They're not going to feel as though that's an uncomfortable situation. They're going to assume it. You're shining a light on it early. It's not a place where they're feeling it. They need to hide stuff. Hopefully. Yep. So tip seven is your digital footprint matters because the internet is loud and permanent. Uh, kids need to know that everything is its not going away. Uh, Snapchats, search history, phone logs, all of it can be accessed by law enforcement or an internet service provider or can be screenshotted and sent to anyone. Nothing is ever shared with just one person. And there are huge ramifications for, for kids that have shared things with one person and then they've gone elsewhere. Kids need to know that things are not private online and that they shouldn't share anything they wouldn't yell in a crowded lunchroom or want their grandmother to know about. And this is, I think, a hard thing for kids to understand. We talk a little bit about developmental appropriateness sometimes and making sure that what we understand as that concept of permanence online, they might not have a grasp of when they need to. So finding a way to, you know, I'm sure Common Sense Media has uh, strategies for that so that they understand what that permanence means, what not only are the potential consequences, but what kind of leads to that with their digital lives. For sure. And it's so different. You know, when we were growing up, I definitely made mistakes when I was in middle and high school, but my mistakes weren't out there for everyone to see for the rest of my life. That's huge. That's that's something we need to talk to our kids about. There was an interesting podcast in, in the Hidden Brain series 
about the situation that took place where the students that had been accepted to Harvard then participated in this text chat that included some inappropriate memes being shared. And 10 of the kids had their acceptance rescinded from Harvard. And the podcast looks at the experience of one of those kids. And it's very eye-opening. You see why that kid made those choices, why he was sharing those memes um, to try to fit in and all these discussion points. But it was a concrete example of this is a consequence that actually happened to this kiddo. And here's, here's how his life has been different because of it. Um, I have tip eight, which is short, direct, repeated, and ongoing conversations. Our kids want our attention and mentorship and help, even when it seems like they don't. The eye rolling, the, oh my gosh, why are we talking about this again? That happens. Um, they what? N- <laughs> it does? I have never experienced that. Um, you get to talk about this because you have older kids. <laughs> I, I live it. Um, so conversation topics, some things to talk about. What does it mean when a friend doesn't answer your text right away? A reminder that behind every online interaction is a real person and how tech companies use streaks and likes to get you addicted, a little bit of what we were talking about earlier, how media reinforces gender stereotypes, the impact of the message versus the intent of the message, how that can get skewed in the delivery, finding examples online of kind and unkind comments, talking through those, giving those examples to your kids of these scenarios, asking your children what they would do if they see someone being bullied online. Discussing their media use away from home. I think this is a big one. What are the rules at a friend's house? Like if they spend a lot of time at another home that has a totally unregulated internet or router situation and then no monitoring of what's happening, are you okay with that? And what would that look like? What would you want your kid to do in that situation? Reminders that mistakes are opportunities for growth and learning. Um, And the Screenagers uh, website that we talked about has great tips for other discussion points under their Tech Talk Tuesday. It gives you lots of topics to talk about in a reminder, hey, because sometimes it's hard to know what to talk about, but here's a discussion point and it comes to you directly. So you have that talking point right accessible. Tip nine, your child saw something unsafe, now what? And this is definitely one of the topics that I would talk about repeated with my child, just telling your kids to to trust their instincts. And if it feels unsafe, it probably is. Teaching them to screenshot the incident, show a trusted adult, and then you as the parent would need to consider if the school needs to be involved, if other parents need to be involved, if law enforcement needs to be notified. Kids are often afraid to tell their parents about their problems online because they fear they're going to get their phones and their access taken away. The more you can have that conversation with your child, that if you see something unsafe, I want you to tell me, and that's not necessarily going to mean you're going to lose your phone. You made a mistake with your phone or with your device. I get that. That happens. If you tell me early, we can help you through it so that it doesn't become a situation that you can't handle. And I think that's just another one of those conversation topics you should be having with your kids. Tip 10, get in the game yourself. Continue to watch what your kids are watching, play the same games, and join the social media outlets that they join. Even though as you get into, as adults start using a social media outlet that often pushes kids into other outlets, at least you're getting a sense of what they're doing or what they're spending time on. 
um, encourage interactive family viewing opportunities. It used to be that media was consumed as a group, you know, everybody looking at the same shared experience. And now things have changed where kids and adults are often on their own device doing their own thing. So encourage those interactive family media viewing opportunities when you can. And just try to stay with your kids as they move on to new games, new apps, new devices. Use common sense media to look at something ahead of time and get a review of what it is. And then really try to do it yourself, play, get involved, Try to have the tech and the media in your household be a shared experience as much as you can. So we do try to offer a resource list to parents as well. There are a lot of really, really great books out there on this topic. Um, Some of our favorites are ScreenWise, Helping Kids Thrive in Their Digital World, um, Raising Humans in a Digital World, The Art of Screen Time, Irresistible, The Rise of Addictive Technology and the Business of Keeping Us Hooked, Social Media Wellness, Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. And then this podcast is another great resource, along with we've talked about Common Sense Media and the Screenagers website. And I think our last message is just, you've got this. Whatever you do is going to make a difference. And the more you can do, the better. But there isn't an easy answer. Like we said, there's no one app that can do all of what we want it to do. It would be great if there was this magic bullet, but there's not. It's an ongoing conversation. It's staying involved and staying connected. It's kind of just like parenting in general. Yeah. It's kids knowing your values. So that way when they're off doing this on their own without your router that's going to filter them appropriately or your device that's filtered, it's so that they know what to do and they know what your values are. Absolutely. I would like to add to that. They've got this. Mm -hmm. Kids are amazingly resilient Mm -hmm. and you're not going to be a perfect parent because there is no such thing as a perfect parent. You're going to make mistakes and they're going to make mistakes. And amazingly, they learn from those mistakes because that's what we do. So when those mishaps happen, it's great to communicate with them about that when they run into something that they wouldn't run into or, or they make some decisions that they maybe wouldn't make. They're going to get their hands burned on the stove a few times. And it's amazing what happens when they come through it. I've, I have experienced a lot of that with my children who are a little bit older. And it's kind of been eye-opening to see some of the decisions that they've made as older teens or 20-somethings on how they live their digital life through getting burned a couple times on it. So you've got this as a parent, but also understand that when those unfortunate things do happen, those are learning experiences and they will learn from them and get through it as well. True. Do you know there's one other point that I think I want to talk about too. Notice we're not saying this is really bad and this is really scary and you should never let your kids online. Like there are so many great things that kids can do online. And um, there's a lot of studies that are showing that kids that are having trouble connecting are finding these great communities online of people that are like them. And they're feeling like they have a place and it's helping reduce their anxiety. I think that there are a lot of wonderful things about the internet and how our kids can connect using devices. So we're not saying close everything off. We're, we're saying that these are the things, if you can put these things in place and have that plan and and do the things, these, these 10 tips, your kids can have all the greatness that comes along with digital media. Yeah, there's so much there that's a positive. There's so many benefits and there are risks, but the benefits outweigh it. And there's so much there that's a positive. And when you see your child doing some of those positive things on their own, doing that research or coming up with that idea. And you're like, where'd you find that? And they actually looked it up and used their technology in a useful manner. Reinforce that. In closing, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TCAPSLOOP. 
at Brostrom DA. At Steffi Light. Subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Downcast, Overcast, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and wherever else you get your ear candy. Leave a review. We love the feedback. Thanks for listening and inspiring. I hope you found it useful.